Welcome to this Mother Looking Life podcast with me, your host, Dion Buckingham-Brown, a midlife mum enjoying life as a business owner, investor and entrepreneur here to help other midlife mums create the life they want on their terms. We'll be talking mindset, marketing and money-making skills, so wherever you're at in your midlife journey, we've got your back. What are you waiting for? Let the Mother Looking Podcast begin. So tell us a bit about who you are and your journey into business. Gosh, that's an open-ended question, Dion, to start. Uh, so I, I set up my first businesses back in the start of the 2000s doing um, sort of IT support, network installations and things like that, alongside uni, alongside also studying a degree as well in business management. Um, and then 2004, I set up, my, I, I guess you'd call it my first proper business, which was a marketing agency. Um, ran that very successfully for 12 years, got it to a quarter of a million pound turnover. We had a team of four people. Um, and, and then something shifted towards um, sort of sort of towards the end of that, sort of about 2014. Um, and what happened, I went to a networking meeting and somebody, um, one of my clients introduced me to a new prospective client as his web bitch. And I was like, that's not really how you need to, like, you know, because I, I loved, loved my work. I loved my clients. We got great results. And that's not how I perceived myself. I perceived myself to be kind of part of the team. And so I started looking at kind of how, freelancers creatives and sort of one-man band small businesses were perceived by other bigger businesses and those whole sort of things around free cheap diy wix weebly wordpress all that stuff just kept on coming up time and time again um so i decided i wanted to go on a one-man mission to kind of change that wrote online business startup as my first book um started to get lots of interest from um other people saying well actually we've seen what you've done from with your business we we kind of productized a branding process and created a one-day branding workshop. And loads of people like, gosh, could you come and do that for our business? So in 2016, I took a bit of a break to work out what I was going to do with that and set up my coaching practice. So that's what I do now. Founder of Fearless Business. Uh, we're a team of four uh, coaches in the practice. Um, we get about 100 clients a year coming through the program um, and have an awful lot of fun doing it as well. Um, and the whole premise is around... Um, uh, getting people to kind of package up their offer, not focus on that time for money exchange like we used to do. Make sure that you're clearly able to articulate your values so you don't have any of those negative perceptions about you that like we used to experience in our marketing agency. Okay, God, it sounds like um, so you had a real strong reason for uh, adapting and helping other people because you were facing those challenges, and I think that's where a lot of you know businesses business ideas form, isn't it? So tell me about the business that you're in now. I know, so what's it called? So it's called Fearless Business. Excellent. And who primarily do you work with and for and how, how do you help them? So we, we work um, specifically with micro businesses. Uh, so coaches, consultants and freelancers typically. So anybody who runs a service client business and exchanges time for money, they're our perfect client basically. And the, the idea being that we want to get them out of that hourly rate kind of busyness so you may have experienced this with um, maybe some of the people the clients which you work with Dion or some of the, the associates you've got uh, I see a lot of kind of coaches consultants freelance who are like like us super bright people they get amazing results for their clients um, they love their job uh, but they get to the end of every month like having you know been busy fools rushing around like Billy O like all month long and then scratch their heads going why is there not enough money in the bank yeah um, and they can't really put their finger on it. And 
what typically tends to happen is that they, a lot of the people we work with will have kind of got into business by accident because they had an idea for something and their mum or brother or kids said, oh, that's a great idea, mum, you should go and do that. So they do it, but they do it without the correct sort of business knowledge and they start to look at what other people are doing. But unfortunately, what a lot of people are doing is, is also making mistakes out there, trying to run their businesses and they're all kind of just, everybody's kind of working, trying to work this stuff out for themselves. Yeah, it's hard work. I remember when I started, it was out of a need to have a different life, you know, to create this different scenario for myself. And I was like, yeah, I'm just going to set up business. And then you just kind of, you know, I dropped lucky because um, I had a property, I went into property investing, and then I fell into this opportunity of running a commercial energy business. I had no idea. I didn't even know what commercial energy <laughs> consultants were. And it was a lot of kind of flailing around and finding my feet. None of the training was particularly good. You know, I had no sales training experience, no marketing experience. And so there was a lot of time, energy and money wasted on trying to figure things out. And I wish I'd have had somebody that you know, provided that overall, um, I suppose, bird's eye view of what I should be doing in my business and how I can be more efficient from, from the offset. So uh, I think it's a great thing that you're doing. Do you find that there are like different stages of business ownership? Um, for example, you touched upon their, um, you know, the initial time exchange for money. Um, I remember when I started going into the work that I do now, which started off as LinkedIn training, you know, a few, a few hundred quid or a few tens of pounds per hour, which then evolved into package, which then evolved into something else, which then now has evolved into an online program and delivering, you know, um, as a product, productizing the service that I offered initially, and then just creating that time leverage, time freedom. Do you, do you, have you experienced much of that um, transition? Yeah, I mean... Well, it's, it's changed dramatically. I mean, if you, uh, the landscape of business when I first set up sort of back in 2000, you know, there was um, only about half a million registered businesses. And today there's now about 6 million registered businesses. So it's like 10 times the number of businesses out there. And what I'm seeing, um, what I saw 20 years ago was people who, like the businesses that were set up were kind of, and I, I don't mean this in a, a negative way, but they were much more serious businesses. They were very commercially focused. There were much fewer um the term entrepreneur didn't really exist at that time. You didn't have side hustles happening. You didn't have access to kind of um, the same access to um, passive income, maybe that some that we've got now. And knowledge wasn't easily accessible because obviously, you know, it's all linked to the growth of the internet. It's created this boom in um, a lot of kind of online related businesses nowadays. Fast forward to today, and you know, you, there's an awful lot of people who are full time employed but running side hustles. You know, writing books on the side, selling stuff on Amazon, uh, you know, working with affiliate marketing based businesses and things like that. Um, irrespective of whether you agree with it, I'm, I'm down with the whole entrepreneur thing because I think what actually drives that is this desire to get out of the nine to five and building somebody else's dream uh, mixed with, well, actually, I can build my own dream now because I've got the Internet and I've got my wits about me and there is this knowledge available. I think from there, you, you then see the businesses that then sort of um, migrate up from, um, you know, side hustle into much more, okay, well, now I'm earning a grand, two grand, three grand a month. Well, I can take this much more seriously. So they start to invest in it more full-time. Then they realize actually to run a full-time business is not just like two or three times the amount of work as a side hustle. It's like 10 times the amount of work. Yeah. Because it's like, 
you sell a product, then you've got to take off your salesperson hat, put your accountant's hat on, take your accountant's hat off, put the marketing hat on. <laughs> and you're constantly like changing hats all day. Yeah. Long. Um, then you start to get into the sort of um, the more performance-based businesses where you maybe have small teams of five, 10, 20 people. You know, and at that point you're growing up, you know, the, the side hustle is like a grand a month. You've got the small one-man band who is like pre-VAT threshold 85K, um, which you, I have a saying, you can wing your way to 85K. Yeah. You can kind of just get luck your way there without, you know, making too many mishaps or mistakes or things like that. When, it, when you then get to 85K and you're like a one and a half person business, the next level is then sort of a five person business, 250, 300,000 pound turnover. And actually to make that leap is pretty monumental. Yeah. But when you get there, like you'll be making as much profit in that business um, relatively sort of passively you'll have a team delivering stuff as you were making when you were kind of hustling to get 85k yeah it's, it's and, then, and, and beyond then it's like you know you got the seven figure businesses and whatnot beyond that yeah for sure it is a huge like leap isn't it sort of working your way up to get to the 85 and then it's that huge jump afterwards um it can be quite a mindset sort of trip for for people who aren't quite ready to um embrace the change of having to run their business in a different way um, to what they were doing when they were hustling, if you like. So um, I'm going to talk a little bit about your book. So I only fully embraced, engaged, loved Take Your Shot, the story of Russ Hibbert. So tell me yep. about, uh, give us a little idea about that story and Russ's journey from where he was to where he ended up. Well, the, the real the real life Russ, I've, I had did change his name because he wanted to, to be um, kept anonymized. But um, the, the real life Russ, he actually, I was doing a webinar for um, my one day branding workshop in the old business when I was starting to make that transition. And he's a golf professional. I don't know how he got onto the, the webinar because it really wasn't aimed at him. It's, it was aimed at other sort of, um, sort of web designers and branding experts. Um, anyway, he, he said, he got off on, onto the phone to me afterwards and he said, Rob, this is like so interesting. He said, I don't really understand any of it, but I think this is like relevant to me. I want you to help me. So he actually became my first coaching client and wanted to understand the one day branding workshop principles, but for his golf pro business. Um, it, he was um, similar to a lot of people. So he was that kind of tired, frustrated, dad of two, two kids, get, you know, he was getting up for work at ridiculous time to get to the course, getting home really late at night, not really kind of enga- being able to engage with the family because he's exhausted. Mm-hmm. And the hardest part was on a Saturday, for example, if it, as it does in the UK, if it's chucking it down with rain, anything up to, up to six or seven of his eight clients booked for that day just wouldn't bother showing up. Um, you know, they had drive, they had a bay there that, you know, that was covered and things like that. Yet, despite that, just... There wasn't enough, you know, drive for people to actually get to those lessons if the, if the, if the weather was inclement. What it meant, though, he was collecting cash at the end of the lessons. So, obviously, if they didn't show up, no cash. The other thing was he was spending £5 an hour to hire the bay out to do the lesson in. Um, so, at the end of the day, like, some days he'd be left with a tenant, which would then go on diesel, to, you know, because he lived an hour away from the course. So, he was like, I've got to change this. And the one, the one biggest transformation we made for him was just about this, simply the questions he was asking potential new clients when they showed up asking about lessons. He was asking them things like, uh, how long have you played golf for? What clubs do you play with? When can you start lessons? What was missing from that though? So those are what I call the tactical, practical things like the features of what he's selling. 
But when we looked at the outcomes and results, why do people buy golf lessons? That's when it started to get really interesting. And he told me this story. Sorry, this is a long convoluted answer, but hopefully it's relevant and interesting. It all makes sense. Um, It's relevant. (laughs) So he told me this story about um, somebody who had literally just booked their first lesson with him. And this guy had just been given an assignment. He just joined a new company, two and a half thousand person company. He was a sales exec. His first assignment was to go and play around the golf with the CEO of the company. And this guy said to, to Russ, all I want to do on the first tee is to outdrive him and drive it perfectly centered down the middle of the fairway so he notices me. I want to stand out in this company. I want to become a sales director. Now, that's a much more compelling yeah. value proposition than how long have you played golf for? What clubs do you play with? Like, how, how many lessons do you want? Um, and so we actually ended up creating five very simple products around driving further, lowering your handicap, lowering your putting average and things like that. So we kind of productized the golf lessons. Mm-hmm. Where it got really interesting was where we came to the pricing side of things. So normally he would charge sort of £25 an hour for lessons and it would, it would take about eight to ten lessons to get any one of those results typically if, if the client kind of leaned in. So about £200 worth of revenue. And I said, well, we, now we've got a clearly defined outcome we've packaged it up into blocks of eight lessons plus there's some extra accountability which you'll help them to to do you know throughout the eight weeks we can slap any price on it that we want within reason Hmm. so i went well how about we do 595 595 pounds here's like international sign of distress charge that much all the competition will laugh at me nobody charges 25 pounds for lessons blah blah i said yeah, but nobody else is charging for a specific outcome they might all be charging for lessons but they may also have all the pricing wrong um, so you, you've got a specific outcome. Um, we'll put a money back guarantee on it. So that if clients um, do everything that you, you've promised them, they and they don't get the result, but they also feel like they don't, because it's down to perceived value. Yes. Um, because if, if they don't feel like they get the result, the perce- you know the perceived value out of it, well, you just hit the refund key and give them their money back. Mm. But perceived value is very different to guaranteed outcomes, and it's it's um it, it's kind of subtle, but there is a big difference between the two of them um so you know guaranteed outcomes like it would be like a um a doctor guarantee that by taking this these antibiotics you're going to get better obviously they can't guarantee that Mm. but what you can guarantee is a perceived value so take take your shop for example um how much would you ordinarily pay for a book um 14.99 14.99 10 or 20 quid something like yeah it cost me £1.82 to get a copy printed. So your perceived value is actually six times or seven yeah. times higher than what it cost me to actually get it made. But it's because of the, the value and, you know, the value that we place onto objects, yes. things, services, products. Absolutely. And also, actually, the, the value that I had in the long term and I'm still getting from buying, you know, that initial fourteen ninety nine investment, for example, is, is way bigger, way bigger. And, so, it, and yeah. it, what it comes down to, I mean, the thing I love about the books, because you could say, you could argue that like every business should be about making money. Yeah. It's not. If, if your results driven first and your values mission and, and everything else uh, come, come, you know, way before money, you'll always have much more success. Thing I love the most is with that book, £1.82, I send them out for free all the time. When I get a message from somebody saying, I read Take Your Shot, I applied the principles and I doubled, trebled, quadrupled my turnover and I do get those, I'm like, brilliant. 
the best clients I have are the ones I've never had to work with. And I mean that in, in like the, the most abundant, nicest way, because that, that's, that's what it's all about, is about delivering as much value as you possibly can. Absolutely. I mean, I, I, I love that book. And I don't even know how I came across it. I, I had it on Audible. And um, at the time, I remember thinking, oh, my God, I am Russ. I'm the female version of Russ. I mean, I didn't, I wasn't on the golf range. I was in my, um, you know, commercial energy business, just transitioning to the LinkedIn stuff, the social selling. And I just thought, I mean, it just struck such a chord. And I thought, bloody hell. And that was kind of the, part of the inspiration for me changing my business model um, because I just needed a bit of, a better way to, to be generating revenue, to get in the types of people that I want to work with and helping them in the type of way that I want to, to work with, you know, as well as creating the ideal life that I wanted. So um, it may it absolutely resonate with me. So um, we'll do some links afterwards about how people can get hold of the book. Yep. Um, so have you got some top tips for us? Well, I, pricing is kind of one of the key things that I think um, most business owners get wrong. So, you know, we've mentioned it a couple of times already, the time for money trap, and, yeah. and it is very much a trap. So um, quick question, um, when you, um, or when you, when people first um, start up in business, how do they price their products? What's the first step they normally do? It's generally per hour. Per hour, but what, how do they come to, what, how do they draw a conclusion as to how much? Yeah. <laughs> But some, some do pluck a figure out the eight. In fact, you're probably better off doing that. The most common mistake I see is, is people will go and do a bit of competitor analysis because all the gurus and experts yeah, and breakups will tell you, go and do a piece of competitor analysis. Yeah. But um, one of the biggest mistakes they make is they assume that their competitors are, do, are doing it right. Well, yeah. So, You've got nothing you know, else to go by though, have you? But yeah, you're right. There's a big assumption there. Well, that's it. So imagine this scenario, right? Pricing wise, where we're going and looking at the com competition, Dion's looking at David, David's looking at Trish, Trisha's looking at Stephanie, Stephanie's looking back at Dion. Yeah. Who set the prices there? I know, it's just hazy. Dion set the prices. Do yeah. we trust Dion with pricing? No. Probably more so now because you know more than you did sort of a year ago. <laughs> just and about you've read <laughs> job. But, but like we've assumed that everybody like knows what they're doing, and actually 95% of the people are probably charging completely the wrong amount, and we just assume that it's right. Yeah. The, the best thing you can possibly do, it, it's, just a, it's just a very simple, like, um, it's, it's not even a goal-setting exercise. It's just, a, a, like, let's just check in with the economics of a business and see if it stacks up. So I'll give you an example of this. So I had a, um, another early client. They were selling um, website hosting for £8 per client per month. Um, and their goal was to get to £3,000 a month so that um, uh, they could, at that point, they could afford, they had a young family, so they could take August off to spend with the family over the summer holidays. They could set some money aside to um, buy their first house, and they also wanted to get married as well. Um, and eventually, Rich wanted to go and get an office, you know, in his local town so he had a bit of space from the family. Um, so I said to him, well, simple maths, I said, well, do you, you do realise you need about 400 clients at £8 a month in order to... And international signs of stress. Well, it's just ridiculous. Rob. I could never cope with 400 clients. And I said, right, okay, well, how could you cope with, you know, either achieve 3K or cope with 400 clients? I said, well, I could hire some people. And I said, what's your capacity though? And he said, well, about 80 to 100 clients, I reckon. So I said, okay, so you need to hire three more riches on, and you're only earning 3K a month. It's not, it doesn't yeah. stack up economically. So I said, I suggested, well, let's look at the pricing more because my gut re reaction was £8 a month is too cheap. How can we stack some value? And what we did is we raised the baseline. So we, we shifted away from just commoditized hosting. 
at eight pounds a month. We introduced a care plan, which started at 50 pound a month and various tiers up from that. But we added an extra levels of uptime for the websites. We added an extra, so like an extra half an hour's worth of support a month and a few other extra bits and pieces, security patches on the WordPress websites and whatnot. So the whole service was elevated. What was interesting was when we put the price increase in place, so they did have a number of clients. They lost about 40% of their clients, but their immediate revenues went up by about three to four times with the ones that stayed. What was interesting though was their support calls dropped by 80%. So the clients that left didn't value them and they were what I class as pain in the ass factor clients, pit off clients. Anyway. Yeah. So Deadwood, off they went. Uh, and he did, it took him a couple of years to kind of build up the client base, but they hit their 3K after about two years. Mm-hmm. That was on as well as their um, website um, packages, which we increased from about £400 up to about £1,200. And so two years in, uh, they actually went from about £800 a month overall. And we did their first 8K month midway through last year. Wow. Husband awesome. and wife team. She's left work. They're now married. They've got their house. He's got the office. Oh, that's so, honestly, there's so many people out there that would just love to be in a position to grow their business to the point that they can just head on out of their, their nine to five, you know, and just create something for themselves and their family in the way that they want to, to, to do. Um, okay, so pricing. Next tip. Well, we haven't dealt with hourly rate yet. So that was like uh-huh. just setting, setting the stage. So make yeah. sure the economics stack, stack up for your business. Um, hourly rate, though. So I have a belief that hourly rate is fundamentally unethical. Okay. Yeah. It's, it's fine for salaries and things like that. There are, there are commoditized services, which, you know, we need to sell out to hourly rate granted, yeah. but for professional services delivered by experts that create serious like transformations for their clients, whether it's business to business or to consumer, hourly rate doesn't work. So take the website example again. So imagine this scenario, right? on i'm a web designer i'm going to build you a brochure style website i reckon it will take me 20 hours and i'm going to charge you 50 pounds an hour is that okay okay yeah. <laughs> let's assume it's okay yeah. for, the, for the sake of this this story let, let me just go and check <laughs> now what i didn't tell you dion is i've only been doing it six months and this is going to take me about three months to do it we're going to have loads of back and forth we're both going to get pretty frustrated um, and in three months time, i'm going to come back to you with a, a site which isn't well it's it's there there's a site there but it's not very functional doesn't work very well on mobiles and certainly not google friendly okay oh and by the way i forgot to tell you because i'm not very good it's taken me an extra 10 hours and you've got to pay for that. Is that okay? Hell no. No. So now most people are moral, ethical, upstanding human beings and mm. they wouldn't just charge extra without kind of, you know, at least giving you a bit of forewarning. So, you know, but the mere fact that you could tells me that it's unethical. The other thing as well, imagine actually Robin fast forward like 20 years, like, you know, uh, the experience that he's built up. And actually for Dion, he, um, he can build that website in 10 hours. It's perfect, works on mobiles, SEO friendly, but he doesn't know a lot about pricing. So he's still at 50 pounds an hour. So you get it for a third of the price, but a much yeah. better product because he's got 20 years more experience. Like you can see the whole thing's yeah, out of whack. Really flawed. Um, and so actually, you know, even if, even if um, Robin plus 20 years, you know, with all of his experience, was charging £1,500 for that website, but to a much higher standard. He's, and, and it's taking him less time. He's getting better compensated. Yeah. But it's for, it's, the whole premise is about delivering results and outcomes mm. for somebody, yeah. not time and materials, because yeah. it never stacks up. Next tip. Um, most business owners can't articulate their value. 
So, you know, we might know that we're a good web designer and we might know that we deliver great results and our clients start to get, um, uh, you know, they start to, for example, get leads that, from the website that we've designed for them. Yeah. But we, humble web designers, um, I'm saying this generically now, most business owners lack the confidence to be able to articulate the reasons why somebody should pay a package price versus like an hourly rate. Hourly rate, yeah. So... How I bet probably a lot of people watching this, whenever you get asked the question, especially if you're in a service-based business or even selling products, when somebody asks you how much, most people are like, they just kind of shrink away, you know, inside themselves and just get smaller and smaller, you know. <laughs> we hate that question. Yeah. But the reality is, all it comes down to is we just need to have a little bit more confidence in our ability to deliver. Mm. You know, think of money-back guarantees. I bet not many people watching this would, um, be able to offer a money back guarantee confidently no. that says more about them than it does their client it's a mindset thing isn't it very yeah, absolutely 100 percent. yeah so if you go into a sales scenario situation where you are com comfortable and confident in your ability to deliver a high quality product with the, with amazing outcomes and results you've got the testimonials reviews and case studies to back it up and somebody says how much to you you should be proud when you give them that your price yeah, yeah. even if the next response to that is when they might say something like oh gosh that's expensive well yes it's expensive but i'm bloody good mm. also if you don't feel that you're getting the value out of it i'll just hit the refund key because i can't afford to have my reputation tarnished yeah. um i wouldn't take you on as a client if i didn't think i could help you so there's all these ways of kind of like stacking value and building people's confidence up and you can see that actually now the the energy shifted. It's no longer about my confidence and my ability to deliver because that's there. Mm. It's now over to you in terms of your confidence and my ability to deliver. Yeah. And you may just need a few convincers. So we can throw in the guarantees. We can throw in payment plans, for example, mm. um, you know, to make it more affordable. But we don't compromise on price for the package. No, and that's a really good thing because, you know, when I've done sort of uh, training in the past, when so we were taught, you know, when somebody asks you, a prospect asks you, um, oh, or says, that's expensive, you say, really, compared to what? You know, and just ask that question, it kind of throws it back on the prospect. So, well, actually, don't know, because, you know, a lot of the time they kind of revert to the price, you know, they want to beat you down on price rather than delving into the perceived value of your products and services. And actually, that's on us as salespeople to um, extract what the prospects are thinking, so therefore, so and what their sort of de desires and needs are. Yeah, I was just talking about prospects, and they always sort of look to try and beat you up on price because they don't really understand what they're comparing this. Um, you know, oh, this is expensive. They don't know what they're comparing it to, and so if we ask the right questions to understand what their logic is in terms of, well, you know what are you hoping to achieve? What's the outcome you want to achieve? And then let's see how we can provide that value and that service for you. Um, it, it, you know, questioning comes, becomes a very, very big part of um, the overall strategy to actually relay that value to your prospects, if that makes sense. 100%. And like most people, you know, when it comes to sales and somebody says that's expensive, you know, that, the, the thing is, the real objection is never price. It never comes down to price. It's because you haven't been able to demonstrate the value that your, your great product or service can deliver for that person. Yeah. Um, and, and what tends to happen is, though, somebody will start to say, well, that's expensive, or they'll start pushing you for, you know, with the, with the buying sort of questions or the objections. And again, we take it personally. 
Mm. And, and actually with sales, you have to um, remove all of that emotional attachment to the sale. You have to go into that sale not caring whether you win it or lose it. Because if you go, imagine like, here's your business, here's you. If they're, if they're inextricably linked by that, that emotional attachment, imagine if you're having a bad day over here, a bit of a wobble, well, all of a sudden your business is having a wobble too. Yeah, sure. Your business needs you to show up to the best of your abilities and deliver as much value so that your clients like believe in your business. They don't have to believe in you. You can be having wobbles over here, but your business needs to be solid. Absolutely. And it's not just sales. So we need to detach that emotional attachment to it. The other thing as well, so I, I don't know if you can probably see this. So I, I always wear this, this bracelet, 7010 Okay. These numbers didn't come, I didn't make them up. They came from Google Zero Moments of Truth. And they talk about, um, it, was, it was based on the whole sort of the era of cold calling. So 70 calls, 10 appointments, two sales. Okay. But we've changed that. So I changed it to 70 conversations, 10 con consultations, and yeah. then two conversions. Yeah. And the, the great thing about that is you could have a really broad audience of 70 people, but we're going to whittle it down to the two actual buyers at that particular yeah. moment in time. So if we're getting two yeses, for every two yeses we're getting, we're actually getting 68 no's. And I don't know about you, I'd rather be in control of that. But what it also tells me is that every business has this massive inherent amount of failure built into it. Yes. So if you were getting, and this is the best, this is the funniest bit, and there'll probably be people who may be watching this and they'll go, oh gosh, that's me. So if you have a conversion rate, a good conversion rate, in my opinion, is one in five to one in three. Mm -hmm. So 25 to 33 and a third percent is actually quite a narrow band. But if, you, if you're converting more than one in three, I can near as damn it guarantee that your prices are too cheap. Right. And a lot of people confuse a good conversion rate for being good at sales. Ah. It's not. Because if you had somebody and they wear it like a badge of honor, oh, we convert 100%. If we get in front of people, we convert 100% of them. We convert 80% of them. I'm like, great. Double your prices and go and get an 80% conversion rate. <laughs> oh, well, no, I can possibly die. It's never going to happen. Great. But what's happening is you're destroying your business because you're, you're getting too many clients through. That is, that is actually bad for business. Yeah. It's a bit like, um, so an analogy I use is like, you know, the Fiat 500 car. Yeah. Little, That's cute little car, yeah, yeah. tiny little Fiat 500 car, really cute, especially like the 1960s and 70s versions of them, right? So 500cc car, imagine if you added rocket fuel into a Fiat 500. It's going to go like really fast, a really short period of time, and then just explode into a little ball of, you know, fairies and pixie dust because it's a cute little car, right? Um, rocket fuel is designed for rockets, right? Mm -hmm. And in this analogy, the engine is um, the, the business chassis. It's the inner workings, the, the product, the price, the sales processes, the marketing processes and systems. It's like, it's everything. The accounts, yeah. it's, that's the business engine. But then you've got the rocket fuel, which is actually marketing energy, like potential energy. So if we actually just focus on marketing and don't address inherent problems, like if we're too cheap, can our business cope with having more customers? At some point, it's going to break. Lost, yeah. And this is what I was saying about winging your way to 85K. A lot of those issues will never come out in a business that's pre-VAT threshold. You know, it will be stressful. It will be, it'll take up a lot of time. It'll be, you know, whatever else, take up a lot of energy, but it won't necessarily fall apart. It's actually when you start to, you know, hit scale mm. and you're trying to add rocket fuel to it that everything just, you know, falls apart. Yeah. Much better to get your products packaged up nicely learn how to articulate your value, get better at sales and increase your prices. And I mean, dramatically, I don't mean like 10 or 20%. I mean like double, treble, quadruple. I've known people successfully go out and tenfold their prices and still sell successfully. 
yes. much lower conversion rates, but they need fewer sales in order to achieve that. Absolutely. Not only that, they get better clients as well. You do. You get the and you get the right. You know, you get the right types of people that you want to work with. You know, people with better mindset as well around money, around um, they, they, you know your perceived value or your value. Um, but I think so many people are scared to do that because they, they see the drop off, don't they? They think, yep. as you mentioned, they think, oh shit, you know, I haven't got all these leads coming in, or I haven't got X, Y, and Z. I've only got this. But actually, as you say, learn to sell better, um, and you get much more value, much less stress. At the and a much stronger, more robust business. So yeah, I think it's a great thing. That's what I. That's one of the first things I was told to do when I first packaged up. Um, you know what I was doing, and it was yeah. You need to change those prices, and it was like five x at the time. And and now I was like, oh, you know, at the time I was like, shit, you know, how am I going to get over this? But um, yeah, once you do the first one, two, three sales, it becomes. It kind of reinforces that belief that you've got in your products and, you, and then it enables you to sell with much more confidence um, and in your prospects feel that and so they're more willing to, to buy into you because they see how confident you are in your products and so you know it comes back to belief you know one of the reasons why I called the program fearless business was it's not about being reckless it's about fearing those things in business ever so slightly less that stop you from from growth or creating yeah. growth so an example of this, you know, Seneca um, is a great quote. He said, things are always much worse in imagination than reality. Yes. Um, and the stories that we tell ourselves, especially around pricing, is that, um, you know, straight away I'll tell somebody, I mean, I have a program where, you know, we, we increase everybody's pricing, right? It's, it's a no-brainer. And um, everybody, when they come in, they're like, oh, we can't, we can't possibly do more. By the end of it, they're going, oh, my God, I can't believe how easy it was. Um, you know, but most people say when you increase the price, I couldn't possibly do that because nobody will buy from me. Mm. Okay, that's cool. But how about rather than just tell me that, you go out and get the data. If you can go out and, and pitch to 100 people and none of them buy at double the price, I, I'll believe you. And to, like, we'll work on something. Clearly, I'm, I'm, you know, everything I preach is, is completely wrong. But most people, again, make that assumption. They start believing it and they don't go out and validate it and gather data. Mm. And the other thing as well, like, you know, I always tell people to do this. Like when you put your prices up, pitch it to at least 20 people minimum, because you can guarantee that people like customers are like buses. The first 16 will say no, because it's too expensive. It will be the last four out of the 20 who will yeah. say yes. It's not, it's not predictable. Um, but you need to go out at volume, like validate at volume, gather as much data as you can and come back. And what, what we tend to see as well is so, uh, I, I'm going to pose the question, Dion. What if I wanted to, to go on your LinkedIn course? How much would it cost me? Uh, two and a half grand. Two and a half k. Okay, so um, probably um, let's let's take let's rewind the clock when you were kind of working your way up to two and a half k. <laughs> so, what what was your first um, attempt? How much did you charge then? Two hundred and fifty pounds. Two hundred and fifty pounds. Okay, and you had people saying yes. You had people saying no. Right. Yeah. So I imagine you're not. You don't, you're not charging two and a half K at this point, but we're back then. I come along and I say, right, Dion, I want you to go out and charge a grand for it. Yeah. What would your reaction have <laughs> been? Oh, God, couldn't possibly do that. Nobody will buy it. Okay, so there was serious, um, initially, you know, there would have been serious fear. I would have been sweating crazy. 
But okay. um, so, I, as a coach, I would have noticed you sweating, and I just said, <laughs> "Cool, Dion. Feels like a thousand pounds is a stretch, but we need to try and pick a number that's bigger than two fifty, but maybe slightly less than eight hundred. So, I do it as like a Dutch auction. I start low, and I, I work my way up, and then when yeah. it starts to get a bit like icky, that's the number we choose. So, we go through like four hundred, five hundred, six hundred, seven hundred, eight hundred. Oh, eight hundred. Oh, you feel a bit. Mm, that's where your confidence buckles. Right, eight hundred it is. Go and pitch your next ten LinkedIn courses at eight hundred pounds. And let's see what data comes back. Yeah. And you'll come back to me and say, Rob, I sold two. I can't believe it. It was amazing. Really easy. Can't believe I was selling it at 250. <laughs> Duh, you know. Yeah, yeah. And then and then from there it's like, cool, well, we've got two at 800. You've got some cash coming in now. This is great. Got nothing to lose now. Why don't we pitch the next 10 at a thousand, the next 10 at 1200, the next 10 at 1800? And then lo and behold, you end up at 2500. Yeah, that's it. And it and it's it's that it's not people see pricing as binary. Mm. It's cheap or it's not cheap or expensive it's you know I, I it's a sale or it's not a sale it's a yes or a no and actually we we there's a it's bandwidth we gradually increment and work our way through the the levels of initiative mm-hmm. until we hit this really sweet spot of equilibrium where our price is nice we we've still got demand people are still buying it and we've got cash in the bank and we've still got some time left tickety boo yeah yeah, I mean, that's exactly what, what happened with me. You know, it's like I understood that 250 was too cheap, but it was kind of getting into the mindset that I should be charging more. And um, so, yeah, we, like, I incrementally sort of increased. So I think I went to um, something like 500, then 750, then 12. And then um, it's, it's a different product now. Uh, yeah. You know, to, to, to make it what it is today. So, um, yeah, it, it was quite a, a steep um you know sharp intake of breath to try and get to that point just to get to the 1200 point was uh, crazy but it was you mentioned, it. i've got a different mention about the better product as well like there's this yeah. thing called the sales cycle of doom i don't know if you've heard me talk about it before but it's where um like especially for service-based businesses sell deliver sell deliver sell deliver sell deliver don't quite have enough money get ill can't sell can't deliver oh right okay i'm better now sell deliver sell deliver and it's this constant like a sales cycle of doom but the moment you increase, like you put your prices up, all of a sudden, it's like um, a, an expanding like vortex. Uh, like all of a sudden you, you end up, if you charge more, you end up with a bit more time to deliver a better quality product, which yeah. creates more money on the back end, which you need fewer clients for, which, and it becomes this ever expanding, like it's, it's really fun and exciting. Yeah. Um, and something which you said there, because I bet like the quality of your LinkedIn course now I bet you never ever could have delivered that at two hundred and fifty pounds a client because you were like busy, frantic marketing sales, oh, like right. yeah. Whereas actually, by charging more, you've been able to evolve and develop a better quality product that people will come into and get even more value out of. You know, you could you know you could probably keep on keep like incrementing that, mm-hmm. and you would be you would have no problem. You would still have clients. Anything else that you think our viewers should know? Uh, I mean, it, it very much depends. You mentioned that some of them are kind of in that ideas phase, some are in the startup phase, yeah. some are kind of more experienced business owners. I mean, whatever you've got planned for your business, um, quite frank, frankly, there's only two things that can ever go wrong in business, right? On, think about it. If you go into a rainforest, right, you can get eaten by crocodiles, bitten by snakes, you can have spiders crawl down your back and like poison you and you'd be dead in a couple of hours, right? In business, especially in, you know, um, uh, first world countries, like we have the, the, the luxury that we kind of work within, there's nothing, there's only two things that can really go wrong. One, we look a bit stupid. Mm. And, and two, we might lose a bit of money. 
for most people, if they don't have much money in the first place, they've actually got nothing to lose. Mm. So the best piece of advice I can give people is just JFDI, just fucking do it because like you're, you're the, the potential return that you could get through being brave with your product, your pricing, your ability to sell and developing your confidence and things like that is so much greater than what you're actually risking. You, you could lose this much, but you could win this much if you play it right. It's, it's a massive difference. Oh, it's absolutely. I, I love what you say there, Robin, because, you know, there are things that I'm starting to do now for my business, and, I, and it does, it makes me cringe because it just takes me out of the comfort zone. But I know that um, if I continue to do those things and continue to work towards my ultimate vision, then the fear of doing those things becomes really relevant over a short period of time because I've overcome so much anyway to get to this point. So no, it's a really good point. Really good point. That's it. So, um, tell us how we can get hold of you, get hold of your book and social handles. That'd be great. Absolutely. So uh, Facebook group is probably one of the best places to get hold of me uh, and access to some extra free knowledge. Um, so if you, if you people search for um, confidently charge more, uh, I'll send over the handle later. Um, and then um, in terms of the book, um, I'm happy. Anybody wants a, a free copy of take your shot. I've got stacks of them here. I need to get rid of them. They're just taking <laughs> up space. So you can request the copy if you just head on over to the fearless.biz website. Yeah. And then there's a resources section where you can apply for copy. So for anyone in the UK, happy to ship a paperback copy. Anybody outside the UK, um, it will be a PDF, I'm afraid. Cool. Um, but still excellent value, I hope. Yeah. Um, and yeah, we've got a ton of resources, other resources as well on the fearless.biz website. So just check me out there. And you can just, I, I don't mean this to sound arrogant. I've invested in my social media and online presence. So you can Google me. Google Robin Waite um, with an E on the end of it and you'll find all of my Instagram, Twitter, LinkedIn. The Brilliant. Oh, I really love speaking to you, Robin. Um, you know, it's been great since uh, the last time I spoke to you at, I think, was it Shift Success? Shift it? Success, yeah, it's Alex's program. Yeah, I've got Alex's program. Yeah, oh my gosh, you know, I was so, like, pleased that you were there. I mean, you know, such a great talk and so much value and they're so lucky to have you on board. Um, that program so I, I truly sort of recommend that anybody comes on to your program and, uh, and actually I'll be speaking to you afterwards about how I can come on to your program um, you know further on down the line um, awesome. if you ever have enough knowledge I don't think you can always uh, there is always room for improvement and so yeah I and I love your work I love your book oh my god honestly <laughs> that book it always <laughs> made me chuckle when we met and you went it was really weird. I, I thought that you might have got somebody else to voice the audio book, but actually it was you. And it was weird then hearing your voice in real life. But that's also quite, it's a really nice compliment because obviously, yeah. you know, you, you, you'd um, positive, positively touched by the book. So that's really nice to hear. Yeah, so really. it's, it's been a pleasure. Thank you. Oh no, thank you so much. Thank you so much.